The Water Values Podcast, Session 156. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. Got a great show for you. We have Marty Wessler who heads up Wessler Engineering. He's also uh, an appointed member of Indiana's Water Infrastructure Task Force, which was created by the Indiana General Assembly a few years ago to advise and make recommendations on uh, Indiana's water infrastructure. And uh, Marty does a great job just kind of laying out exactly how this legislative policy uh, and the recommendations were were, uh, made and what was what ultimately was enacted by the Indiana General Assembly. So I think even though it's Indiana-specific, I think uh, just the, the the way the policy works, the way the legislature works, that kind of stuff, I think is going to provide you a lot of value and a lot of insights. So uh, I hope you enjoy this because Marty does a terrific job laying out how all this stuff uh, fits together. Um, before we get to that, though, we have our typical housekeeping. Uh, first off, we got a couple more five-star uh, ratings and a very nice review by Jay Dirksen, who says, great listen while I apply for water jobs. And he says, great, great podcast. I just graduated from Oregon State University with a master's degree in environmental science, and I'm trying to find a foothold in the water world. Listening to your podcast is helping me absorb information about water issues and explore the different areas in water resource management that I may be able to get involved with. Well, Jay Dirksen, I'm so happy that you find uh, the podcast interesting and helpful in your job search and and just learning about uh, the water industry in general. So I really appreciate you leaving that five-star rating and very uh, nice review. Also, if you would like to support the Water Values Podcast financially and kind of help keep the valves open and the water flowing, so to speak, uh, you can do that by going to thewatervalues.com. You can click on the little PayPal donate button. A donation in any denomination is greatly appreciated and helps defray the costs of, you know, web hosting, media hosting, all that good stuff. So thank you very much for your donations. Greatly appreciate it. Now let's get to our feature interview with Marty Wessler. So open the valves, fasten your seatbelts. And here we go. Well, Marty, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. Great to have you on. It's been a while since we've kind of talked about having you come on. How are you doing today? Hi, Dave. I'm doing fine. Uh, I'd like to say I'm challenged and blessed 24-7. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Uh, could you start off, start us off by uh, telling us a little about your background and how you got interested in water? Sure. Uh, Marty Wessler is a civil engineer. I graduated from Rose Holman Institute of Technology here in Indiana. And um, I'm a second generation uh, owner of an engineering firm here in Indianapolis. My father, Mel, started our business. uh, And he had had been with a water and infrastructure engineering firm uh, called Stanley Consultants. Uh, They're still in business, but um, he was based out of Iowa, and he was responsible for running up and down uh, the western part of Indiana talking to rural electric utilities uh, because he was an electrical engineer. And then he became very involved in rural water utilities just due to the fact that he would be talking to them about their electric utility, and they had water issues. 
and rural rural water utilities still have large issues today. And so it was, it was really my dad um, had a passion for helping those rural water utilities and then helping people who had problems. Um, we would take on projects and say, we haven't done that before, but we'll figure out how to do it and, and help you out. And so uh, that was my main interest. Uh, I started working for him when I was 15 years old in the summertime and working for two water utilities, Eastern Heights Utilities here in Indiana, who was a, a large rural water utility down in Greene County, um, down by Crane Naval Weapons Support Center. And then also the city of Frankfurt. Um, when I was 15, I was up surveying for a water main extension in Frankfurt to lead to the new Frito-Lay manufacturing facility that, that they needed to buy water from the city and started to realize how we look at water in a, in a sense for our people who live here, who have to drink water every day, but also how large of a role water plays in manufacturing and in the economy. And, and that was impressed upon me at a, at a very early age. Um, so that's mainly been how I got started. After I graduated from school, I worked up in Chicago for about a year and a half for a fine gentleman, um, Bill Richardson, who was with uh, AB&H. They were a water engineering firm, over a hundred year, year old firm in Chicago. And they were working on a project to take Lake Michigan water out to DuPage County um, and all the villages out in DuPage County. And that was such a huge project. Um, but I also learned uh, quite a bit from Mr. Richardson. And so I would say those those two have been my mentors and and how I got started and, and carried on in the water industry. Yeah, well, that's 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 terrific that you've got that background and that, uh, you know, that that base of knowledge. Um, you've you've been able to use that knowledge not only to to make Wessler a very successful engineering firm but also you you are an appointee to the uh, water infrastructure task force that's taken place here in Indiana so can you um can you tell us a little about that water infrastructure task force kind of where it came from how you know who the members are how you get appointed that kind of stuff sure the water infrastructure task force uh, was assembled and and met last year in 2018 it was really the um, accumulation of six or seven years of hard work and effort by Senator Ed Charbonneau uh, from Valparaiso. Uh, Senator Charbonneau has been working on water policy and chairing uh, summer committees and other uh, types of task forces and committees in looking at Indiana's water needs, um, determining what we needed to collect in, in the way of data and how we determine where we're at and where we need to go. And so this uh, Water Infrastructure Task Force was uh, commissioned by Governor Eric Holcomb and put together um, uh, uh, two senators and two uh, state representatives and then also other utility and engineering people uh, for the committee. Uh, Mayor Matt Gentry from Lebanon was on the uh, task force. Myself, Michael Simpson with ME Simpson Company, uh, who is a, a water uh, service provider. 
in Valparaiso uh, and has been very, very involved with the American Water Works Association, was on the task force, um, a utility cus uh, customer in, in person, um, Dwayne Gillis from Evansville Water and Sewer Utility, Connie Stevens with the Alliance of Indiana Rural Water, um, and then also the governor had uh, his uh, budget director uh, on the task force. Uh, over that period, we, we met for four days and heard uh, over 20 hours of testimony from uh, people like Jack Whitman, uh, who has been involved in Indiana's groundwater and uh, water resources for uh, several decades. Um, and hydrogeologists, we heard from utilities, we heard from industry. Uh, we heard from uh, we heard from well drillers. Uh, we looked at areas uh, of water conservation. We looked at areas for collaboration. Uh, we addressed items of affordability. Uh, and so it, w it was typically a packed room for all four of those days uh, that we met. Uh, coming out of our task force, uh, we provided a pretty detailed report with uh, numerous recommendations for consideration by the governor and by Indiana's legislature. And we were pretty pleased that um, two pieces of legislation came out of the task force earlier in 2019, uh, one proposed bill in the Senate and one proposed bill in the House. Uh, and and those were both passed uh, unanimously by their committees and um, voted on and passed and signed into law uh, just a few months ago. I, I want to kind of probe some of the stuff that you guys did on the Water Infrastructure Task Force. The, the first thing you mentioned, uh, you studied uh, collaboration uh, and affordability, among other things. Can you talk about, you know, how, how is the, the, the issue of collaboration uh, addressed and and did that make it into the legislation? Yes, thanks. Um, affordability oftentimes drives collaboration, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, so in, in Indiana, and I'm I'm going to venture that we're not much different than than other utilities in other states across the country. Uh, people here take pride. And the, the town councils take pride in keeping their water rates and their sewer rates affordable, right? And they'll brag. Um, we, we, we just helped a, another client, a, a city um, up, up north of Indianapolis with a, a, a rate case a couple of years ago, and they had not had a water rate increase for 17 years. But they would, bra they would brag about that. Yeah, and yeah. so all of their money uh, was that they had planned on going toward capital projects was being eaten up by incremental increases um, in interest and, and everything else. And so uh, we have a large number of utilities who are trying their best to keep the rates at a, a sustainable and affordable level, but we really had not defined affordability. Uh, that was one of the things that was addressed in the task forces. It, you, we want to talk about keeping things affordable, but how do we define them? I mean, here in Indianapolis, IPL 
There was just an article that in the last 10 years, they've raised their rates 57% for the electrical rates. So as we looked at that, we also realized that these small communities were not really collaborating with their neighboring communities in terms of water, water supply. Maybe they're sharing a well field. Maybe they have two groundwater sources that are a mile apart, and they're not combining and collaborating to possibly help each other and provide assistance. It kind of dates back to those old, our high school beat your high school in basketball, right? Yeah, yeah. And so we looked at that issue of collaboration and realizing that we can't force communities to regionalize, and we can't force them to do a joint project or force them to combine. But what we could do is encourage them to collaborate to when they have to look for water and realize that their groundwater source may be running dry or may not be able to support what their future needs are, that they should be talking and working with their neighboring communities and look at areas and ways to collaborate. So that did come out of our report, and it was addressed in Senate Enrolled Act 4 that the Indiana Finance Authority is now tasked with setting up, they've set up nine regions in the state of Indiana, and they're going to be holding regional meetings, and each water utility in each region is going to be tasked with attending the regional meetings, participating in them, and then also looking at, and they have to study ways for collaboration and regionalization if they then want to move forward with any type of financing through the state. Right, right. And so it's kind of the carrot, right? If you want to use state drinking water or wastewater revolving loan funds, you need to participate in these study areas or else you're not going to be eligible for the funds. Well, there is, it is definitely the carrot. It is not the stick. Yeah. Indiana, and another recommendation was that we provide more funds for the Indiana Water Infrastructure Fund. And so House Enrolled Act 1406, which was carried by Representative Soliday and went through the budget, is now a permanent budget of $20 million a year beginning in July of 2020 that goes to the Indiana Finance Authority, and this is state money. So the carrot is that if people want to apply to get a portion of that state money, then they must adhere to the and collaborate and participate in the regionalization. It's still unknown and unclear if Indiana is using the drinking water SRF and the clean water SRF money where they need to go from there. But it's safe to say that most utilities are going to be participating in the regional meetings and the collaboration. 
Yeah. Well, I think that is, is one of the other uh, goals of that is, is I know that you mentioned Jack Whitman and, and Jack was actually guest number two on the, on the podcast, but uh, Jack is uh, he, I've heard him say repeatedly that half the problem is that utilities just don't talk to each other. And this is kind of getting the, the utilities to actually talk to one another and, and maybe breaking down some of those, well, you guys beat us in, in the 1965 sectional. So, um, or, you know, or you beat my grandfather's team in the 65 sectional. So uh, I, I'm, I don't like you, you know. So just trying to break down some of those, those barriers that have maybe built up over time and allowed silos to form. Right. I, I think it will it will evolve and, and break down barriers. Um, everyone needs water. Um, everyone needs to be able to, you know, to turn the tap on, uh, to turn the faucet on in their house and, and have clean drinking water uh, come out. And it, it, when we look at the other options for some of these communities um, that aren't willing to to participate, you know, they they don't have very good options. Um, they can raise their rates and and keep keep looking at just what they want to do within their own community, or they can start talking with other communities and learn. You know, typically the operators attend the AWWA district meetings or or the uh, industry uh, type of workshops. And they could they talk to each other. Uh, it's just getting the uh, the councils to realize that that yes, it would be good for both parties for us to to collaborate. Yeah, politics gets in the way a lot, you know. Sometimes, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so do you have do you have more to say on like affordability? Uh, we I know you touched on it in conjunction with the, the collaboration angle, but is there are are there other things we 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 need to look at in terms of affordability that the Water Infrastructure Task Force uh, reviewed? Well, affordability was it's, and we learned that um, the definition of affordability depends upon where you live in the state. Um, the, the northern third of the state has abundant supply of groundwater or they get their water from Lake Michigan. The central third of the state has a decent supply. Um, and then you learn of the regional Indiana water collaborate, collaborative uh, that, that happened within the Marion County and the 19 utilities in the, in the areas around in and around Marion County and how they're they're looking at providing, you know, 50 to 100 years worth of water. And so that type of affordability where in Indianapolis they're paying $35 a month for 4,000 gallons of water or so um, is a lot different than affordability in southern Indiana that has a lack of groundwater. Um, and it's it's very spread out. Uh, in the rural uh, agricultural areas and um, plenty of, you know, groundwater wells for the um, people that, that live several miles apart. And so they just have to run a lot more water main in these rural water utilities uh, per customer. And so they have a lot more infrastructure in the ground. So, you know, to them, an affordable water bill here might be, Twenty to thirty dollars, and in Southern Indiana, it might be fifty to sixty to seventy. Yeah, and so we we were kind of there's not a one size fits all, really, uh, across the state of Indiana. Yeah, I, I think that's probably common uh, in uh, across the country. Would be my suspicion. Um, I know that there 
you know, some, some groups are working on metrics in terms of like percentages of this, you know, income and things of that nature. But, yeah. uh, but I, th- I think kind of what you've identified is a pretty good, uh, you know, kind of explanation behind, you know, what's going on. It, it just depends on what, what, what's the cost to get you the water. Uh, and, and if you're used to paying that kind of like we're used to paying big electric bills, right. It's, yes. just, it's just part of it. Just, you just learn to live with it. And I think yes. people- and, and, the, and looking more at the fact that people and the, those in charge and, and the politicians need to be able to look at their water assets um, in more of a business case, um, do, a, do a proper asset management planning, look at it in a business case, and be willing to raise their rates with a with a smaller percentage increase <laughs> over time, so that they can stay keep up with inflation and continue to to look at taking care of their capital needs. Um, one of the things that came out um, also with affordability and then popped up was the the interesting facts on water loss. The fact that we're pumping all this groundwater. And, you know, the state of Indiana, and we're losing 50 billion gallons a year of, of water uh, at a cost of, you know, $50 million a year. So as, as we talk about affordability, one of the things that we looked at, and, and it really ties in with asset management planning, and then also ties in with the, the collaboration and and expansion of our water utilities is how much non-revenue water is being lost when a utility wants to says they need to drill another well or expand their water plant um, due to increased demand but their non-revenue water is around you know 40 say they have a 40 percent loss should realistically they be looking at reducing the amount of non-revenue water they're losing before they go in and do an expansion? Yeah, yeah, and and I know you're, you're when you mentioned percentages, I know you're that, that's just the easy metric, right? Because the AWWA has the the water audit that you go through and, and figure that all out. So, I, and I know non-revenue water made its way into the legislation. So, can you kind of uh, talk a little about? what the requirements are in the Indiana legislation for non-revenue water? Yes. Um, beginning in 2020, uh, legislation uh, we now have for uh, water loss audits uh, conducted according to the AWWA M36. Uh, there's free software for the utilities, and um, Indiana's AWWA is actually going to be doing training sessions. Um, but... In 2016, the Indiana Finance Authority uh, conducted uh, a water loss audit and required over 550 of Indiana's water utilities to submit a a water loss audit. Um, And that is where they they determined the, the number across the state. And so what we found is that some utilities did it once and and they still refer to it as oh we have 19 percent water loss well um 
AWWA's methodology is more on the uh, doing away with the old percentage and now looking at non-revenue water as a dollar metric so that you, we can actually start tying dollars to water loss and, and your non, what we call your non-revenue water. So um, Indiana now, beginning in 2020, all water utilities who sell water to customers, um, obviously through meters, are required to do a water loss audit every year and then in the even-numbered years, they are required to have that water loss audit validated by a certified third party. And the results of those are to be um, submitted to the Indiana Finance Authority in August of every even-numbered year. The IFA will then compile those results, all the data, and submit a report to the legislature by December of the even-numbered year uh, to let Indiana's legislature know where we are in regard to improving on our non-revenue water. Um, this, this is vital for us to start to determine how much water we're pumping and not using. And the only way we can do it is to start collecting the data and then provide a historical perspective. So we're going to need several you know, we're going to need several um, biennial iterations of this. So maybe in 2024, our report might start to tell us if Indiana is making improvements in our non-revenue water loss. Right. I, I know Georgia has uh, similar legislation that requires non-revenue water audits. Is Did you use that as a basis for for that in your report to the legislature? Or, or, uh, Georgia and California and, and some other uh, states are looking at this. Uh, but, yes, we, we've looked at this and said if, if we're going to really, truly start to understand Indiana's water across the whole state, um, we need to know how much water is is actually not being used. Right, right. Um, do you have any, any thoughts on kind of the stuff that didn't make it into uh, that was not enacted into law? Are there other recommendations you think that are that might be ripe in the near future to to come back and maybe head through the legislature? Well, I think. Um, Asset management planning uh, made it into the legislation. Uh, that was one of the recommendations. Uh, what we see, and and again, we're probably not much different, uh, but what we see is we have a lot of cities who have water mains in the ground that are 100 years old or more. And the, the true cost to replace those is, is pretty staggering. And as... And, and utilities are oftentimes spending money on things that that may not be the highest priority in terms of consequence of failure and critical criticality of failure. And so uh, Indiana, in their transportation, they passed the gas tax increase a couple of years ago, and part of that gas tax increase required all um, municipal um, public works departments, I guess, all transportation agencies to submit an asset management plan every year 
to NDOT. Well, we looked at that and said, that's if we can do that for our roads and bridges, we need to be able to do that for our water and sewer infrastructure also. And so what's what's going to come out of those asset management plans? And those are going to be a requirement if you are borrowing money from the state, SRF, or part of the $20 million for the state infrastructure infrastructure funding, you're going to be required to submit an asset management plan. And with that, it's a financial plan, technical and managerial. And what we're going to find is more utilities are going to start increasing their capital programs and going to need to. Because as we've done in a couple of communities, they started looking at what if we replaced our water mains on a 1% basis, 1% water main replacement per year was going to cost $2 to $2.5 million a year that they would need to put in their water rates. And people thought that was too much until you actually look at the realistic perspective of saying a 1% water main replacement program means that the utility is going to come down your street once every 100 years to replace that water main. And you are expecting the utility to have that put in and last 100 years. And is that a realistic expectation? So the asset management planning is a very key piece that came out. The collaboration is required. The water loss audits are required. We touched up on cybersecurity for our water and sewer utilities to have cybersecurity plans. And so I really think this water task force knocked it out of the park with regard to all of the primary and the priority items that needed to be taken care of via legislation. The one area that we weren't able to accomplish because we did not have enough time and it was too big of an area was stormwater. The task force was originally formed for water, wastewater, and stormwater. And so legislation recommended that now in 2019 the governor consider a stormwater task force. And that has been convened. That is a larger task force now than the water task force was because it's also dealing with not only urban stormwater runoff but rural and agricultural runoff and CAFOs and other things. And so that's going to be a pretty broad topic to start to look at for the state, the area of stormwater. Right. And you're on that stormwater task force, right? Yes. Several of us who were on the water infrastructure task force were named to continue on the stormwater task force to provide continuity. Well, I think that's just a testament to the good work you did on the water infrastructure task force. So we appreciate your service, Marty. So, hey, so do you have kind of a leave behind message? You know, after going through all this and sitting through the task force and hearing all this testimony and watching the legislation get through and all that kind of good stuff, you know, what's your kind of leave behind message? What did you take away from all of this? I would say leave behind is that Indiana relies upon water. Most people do not realize how much water is used in the state of Indiana for manufacturing. 
Um, most people don't realize how much water is used in the state of Indiana for agricultural and irrigation purposes. Um, and they, they also um, don't realize, say for instance in the drought, I believe it was the, the drought of 2012, um, about 80, uh, I think it was on a, the order of uh, 80 billion gallons were pumped for irrigation and 140 billion gallons were pumped for water consumption. So, you know, <laughs> agricultural irrigation is, is starting to play a large role and, and weather change and climate change is starting to play a large role in, in our water sources. So we need to pay attention to that. Uh, we need to pay attention to what our water utilities are doing with regard to non-revenue water and, and properly planning for main replacements. Um, it costs much more to repair something in an emergency than it does to plan and, and fix something properly and replace something properly. And so the, those leave behinds would be that the, the state of Indiana's water is healthy, uh, but we need to improve. And we need to improve over the next five to 10 years in the, in the way we um, collect our data and the way we then start to manage our data and use the data to improve the opportunities um, for the, the customers here in Indiana. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question just because I, as, you were, as you were talking, something kept, you know, knocking around in my head and that is what role do you see artificial intelligence machine learning playing in in moving all this stuff forward because that that seems to be the to me to be the undercurrent about asset management data that kind of thing i'd say there's going to be a small role um not as large of a role as some other industries but we're starting to see more utilities move into smart metering where we're um, putting in water meters that col that collect the, the the gallons per day that the customer is using, and you know the the smaller utilities have used to have that used to be the first job in a water utility a meter reader. You go out and you read the meters and you put them in a book and you bring them in and that's how you get billed. Now it's going to be each of these are are talking individually to a repeater station, which is then going directly into the central computer. So it's real-time information on customers using water. That helps the water utility pinpoint leaks really quickly. It helps them be better with customer service and notifying a customer, hey, you know, they can now call a customer and say, looks like you have a leak. Your water meter is really recording a lot of water um, being used. And it will then help them determine areas um, with low pressure, um, areas with a greater concentration of flow, and also diurnal patterns. Um, I live in Hamilton County, Indiana, and my community normally is 10 to 12 million gallons a day of water. In the summertime, on a week like this week with no rain and 90 degree weather, they pump 23 to 26 million gallons a day for irrigation. Well, where is that all going? And that all happens from 1 to 5 p.m., 1 to 5 a.m. in the majority of the cases. So how does, you know, the city of Carmel then start to manage their water utility 
to be proactive to all the irrigation needs versus being reactive. And that's where I believe the artificial intelligence will, will play into um, play into the water utilities. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's, I, I think it's going to have a huge impact um, in consolidation and all kinds of different things um, as we, as we move forward. But Marty, I, I really appreciate your, your, your thoughts and your, uh, insights into all this stuff. I always enjoy talking to you, Marty. I uh, really enjoy it. So uh, for those people who want to find out more about you, more about Wessler Engineering, where can they go to get that information? Well, uh, Wessler Engineering, it's, it's pretty easy. Um, <laughs> our website, wesslerengineering.com. Um, sign up for our blog. We have a, a large blog, and one of our other specialties is uh, we help a lot of the uh, MS4 communities and um, have a lot to do with stormwater uh, with that, and uh, we have a, a large number of uh, highly qualified individuals that write blogs and provide educational pieces. Um, if I ever read one, it's a sales piece. I, I get quite upset uh, because we're here to help people. We're not here to sell things. Right. Right. So um, if it if it deals with water, wastewater, or stormwater, uh, go to our website, and uh, we'd be happy to talk to you. Terrific. All right. Well, hey, Marty, thanks so much. Really appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Dave. All right. Bye now. Bye. Well, hope you enjoyed that interview with Marty Wessler. He was fantastic. And, you know, even though it was based on Indiana, um, Indiana circumstances, I think that everything that Marty talked about is applicable to every state. I think Marty even said a couple of times, you know, I don't think Indiana is unique in this regard because all states have utilities with uh, aging infrastructure and water loss and the other, uh, you know, things that affect affordability, affect sustainability, things like that with, with their water utilities. So I think it was a very valuable exercise in hearing, uh, in hearing Marty's discussion about uh, Indiana's Water Infrastructure Task Force. Tell me what you thought about that interview. You can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 156. That's thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 156. Leave a comment on those show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can tweet at me at my Twitter handle, which is at DTM1993. And you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And as I said at the top of the show, uh, please rate and review the podcast on uh, whatever podcast directory you're listening on, iTunes or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn. Um, Himalaya, CastBox, uh, whatever you're listening on, that would be greatly appreciated. It's just a great way for folks to f uh, find out about the podcast. You can also um, sign up for the newsletter at thewatervalues.com. Uh, it's real easy to do. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me.
Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.